Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Oh, we are so excited. We're so excited to be able to come and hang out with you all. Listen, this is my third time preaching in the last 24 hours, so I hope y'all are praying for your friend and your brother. My name is Terrell Fletcher. I am the pastor of the City of Hope International Church, and we are your brothers and your sisters down the street around the corner. We love the Lord just like you love the Lord, and they sent me our holy what's up. They told me to tell y'all what's up, and we are so grateful for you all. And Now listen, City of Hope, if y'all are watching this online right now, you should be in church be in church. <laughs> it's, it's grateful. I also brought a couple of my friends with me just in case you guys start throwing tomatoes at me while I'm preaching. Will you guys help me make a couple of our brothers? I have one of our elders, Elder William Ison, came to hang out with us. And our lead, our lead deacon, Thomas Danley, came to hang out with me this morning. It's really cool that leaders are willing to say, hey man, we'll serve. And I'm so grateful for them both being here. They've been rocking with me the last day and a half. And it's, sometimes it's good to just drive up the street and not have to get on an airplane to go preach the gospel. Amen. Duh. <laughs> so I'm grateful for that. Also, my wife and all of my children, they all, my, my wife, she likes to come on the trips with me and hang out. And when I told her I was coming up the street, um, I thought we were going to a soccer game after church. But his daughter lost in the quarterfinals, so we're not going to a soccer game now after church. And she's going to be mad when she finds out that she could have came up to church since we're not going to a soccer game after. But I am excited. I'm super excited to bring the word of God today. I consider it a privilege and an honor every time God allows me the space to hang out with his people and to um, share a, a word from heaven form. I've gotten to the point in my ministry where I don't like to preach sermons. I like to give messages, right? I don't, I don't care much for preaching sermons. I like to give messages from God. And I ask God if he would send me to places where he's got something that he wants to share that will revolutionize, not just change, but transform the listeners. And that's what I'm believing for today. I'm believing that God is going to transform somebody's life in here today, right? And yes, I did play eight years with the San Diego Chargers, and I'm so grateful. It was the best, like some of the best eight years of my life. And I must admit, man, God really did bless me. I felt like the luckiest man in the world till I got married and had children. And then God showed me that football was about nothing. You know, he showed me that football is like a distant, distant second. <laughs> but it is second. So, but uh, I, I am grateful for that time. Now, here's the thing. You probably won't hear many football stories today. So most of, most of what I feel like God has had to share with me has to do with you, not me. Most of what I want to share today is about your development, your journey, and not about mine. I learned a few things along this pathway, and I learned a few things that I like to share, and a few things that God laid on my heart to share that I believe is going to encourage somebody that needs encouragement in this season of their life. So here's my hope. My hope is that you grab your pens and papers. My hope is that you, you grab your Bible. But more than anything, my hope is that you have listening ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Because when you leave here, I want you to hear this ringing in your spirit. I want you to hear a word of encouragement ringing in your spirit. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, 
we bless you so much and we're so honored and we're so grateful for this opportunity for us to come together. We are an August body of people that love you and we love you impurely and we love you imperfectly and we love you broken and we love you shard. But the sincerity of our love for you is 100. So Father, I pray that you take our pieces and put us back together again. That you take our impurities and make us pure by your power and by your blood. And that in this word, you would send me the kind of anointing that makes preaching easy and the kind of anointing that makes teaching the gospel simple. But God, even more than that, send me an anointing that allows me to decrease so that you can increase. And an anointing for those that are listening to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, today is not just any day. It is Pentecost Sunday. Something was birthed and came alive today. And today, it's not just the church's birthday. It's going to be the birthday of someone in this room that needs to birth something that God has placed in your spirit. And we bless you and we praise you in the matchless, wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you can shout amen with me, say that. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. You can give God a hand. Praise. He deserves it. Why don't you find like three people and say, what's up? Just say, what's up to about three people. Yes. You rode to church with those three. Find three more people and say, what's up? And grab your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. When you get Matthew chapter 14, just repeat, just shout, I got it. If you need a second, say, hold on a second, Pastor. Hold on a second. I heard you. Hold on. It's blank page Matthew. Blank page Matthew. And when you get Matthew chapter 4, if you just honor the word of God and stand for the reading of the word, it's just like it doesn't make us any more special than anybody. It's just, just one of the ways that we honor the word of the Lord. And Matthew 14, this is Jesus, a story about Jesus that many of us have already heard before. You probably have heard it um, preached and taught many ways and, and many times. And there, I'm sure people that will be able to teach and preach from this text much better than I can today. In fact, I think I'm the weakest link on the chain of preachers y'all are going to have this month. So you pray my strength in the Lord. So, um, but this is a story uh, of Jesus after he has just fed 5,000 people. He, I mean, literally, he just gets finished feeding 5,000 people, at least 5,000 men. They say that about half of them might have been married, which would have put them at 7,500 people, and about a quarter of them may have had children, one or two children, which would put that number that Jesus fed probably right around 10,000 people that Jesus fed with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And it was while he was feeding these, these um, after rather, he feeds these um, people, his disciples, um, uh, he tells his disciples that what I want you to do is I want you to get on a boat, I want you to go to the other side. And this is the story of Jesus' conversation with them and, that, and their corresponding actions after he feeds 5,000. Verse 22 starts like this. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. In other words, he said, you guys go out in front of me, go to the other side of the sea. I'm going to make sure all these people get home all right. Verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when the evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. In other words, Jesus said, it's me. Calm down. Verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous and was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And the word of the Lord is blessed. Uh, will you repeat after me? Um, we're going somewhere. Okay, now make it personal. Lay your hands on yourself. Say, self, I'm going somewhere. Father, in Jesus' name, over the next few moments, I pray that you would teach and you would preach, and there would be spiritual transaction between us and you. One that fills us with your expectation, fills us with your hope, fills us with your power to complete everything that you place before us. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. You can be seated in the presence of God. And, um, well, th this is my first time. Let me tell you something about your pastor. Your pastor, he's a bad man. And by bad, I don't mean bad. I mean good, right? He is a really, he's an amazing man. And let me tell you, his heart for this church and for the kingdom of God is so rich and so pure. And unfortunately, that's a rarity in our line of work these days. It's a rarity to find someone that actually cares about people. Right. So I just want you to understand when you come across your pastor and your and the pastors of this house and um, and he and his family and his wife, when you come across them every now and then, make sure that you make make them feel appreciated because it takes a lot of work and a lot of energy and a lot of of releasing yourself to love people the way that God loves them. Right. There is a kind of love that happens that's not God's love. There is a transaction that takes place that's not God's transaction. But your pastor loves the way Christ loves, and it costs him a lot to do so. It is, he does it at the pleasure of his own heart. But don't mistake, it does cost. So every now and then, buy your pastor coffee. Every now and then, give him a high five. Every now and then, don't be so hard on him in the board meeting. Amen. Because he's got a heart that is a heart that is beyond what you could ever dream or imagine. And what a shepherd to have over you like your pastor. Amen. You should give God a hand praise for him. You should celebrate him right now. You should celebrate him right now. I think about something that I did to my daughter a handful of uh, years ago. When um, my daughter came into my life, um, my oldest daughter, when she came into my life, she was two years old. And we, um, we, we bonded very quickly because I have the natural gift of being an infant when I have to be. And we bonded relatively quickly and, and as we grew and, and, we got, and I married her mom and all of these amazing things started to happen, we looked up and, um, and we had this bond in this relationship. And my promise to her was, 
I said, I promise you that I'm going to love you like you were birthed from me. I promise you that you will go to the best that I can offer you. That is the best church, the best schools, get the best information. You'll get the best of me. That was my promise to her. That is her expectation of me every time. Now that she's eight years old, almost nine years old, and she doesn't forget me that she's almost nine. <laughs> right? so, um, so that is her expectation of me, that I will love her the way she, I love her siblings who are from my body. The way that I love, she has an expectation. In fact, when we have our daddy moments, we have a daddy moment every so often, I'll just take her up to her favorite place, Jamba Juice, and I like to know how am I doing. I just want, to, I want her to know that it matters to me that she feels like she is my child, that she feels like I am giving her and parenting her the way that I am my other children. And an eight-year-old hasn't quite figured out how to not be brutally honest. So she tells me the honest truth, and she tells me, and most times I feel great. Other times I realize that there is a level that I have to raise myself up to. Our conversations are not based off of what I'm doing necessarily. It's based off of what I promised her. She is not judging me based off of what I'm doing. She has made her judgments based off of what I promised. She has not set her expectations based off of what I'm doing. She has set her expectations of me off of what I promised her. When you send someone a promise, you have obligated yourself to meet the standard of the promise in which you've given them. When you have promised someone, you should write this down, when you make someone a promise, you have obligated yourself to meet them at the standard of which you have promised them. When you have promised someone something, you have also essentially obligated yourself to the journey of making sure that they get to the place you promised them you take them. So a part of my journey with my daughter and the promise that I gave her is not just that I gave her a promise, but I have to be involved in her journey to make sure that she is healthy enough, that she is emotionally fit enough to benefit from the promise when I finally get her there. This is a part of the job of a father or a mother or a parent, but today I'm a male and I plan on being a male for the rest of my life. And it is the job of a father. Somebody shout father. My job is to set a promise out there that I will meet the expectation of and I'll take the obligation of making sure that my children get to the place I them that they would go. I know this sounds outrageous and it sounds like a whole lot of work that, you know, at some point in time they get to make their own choices and they get to make their own decisions. But if you've been a parent, you kind of understand, like, you, you know, you're going to have your children in your life for a very long time. And by long time, that means that after they turn 18, that doesn't mean they come out of your pocketbook. I need a grandparent to say amen. Right? I need somebody with a 20-year-old that, that has a yes. I see all the grandparents like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, looking over at their children like, are you listening to the preacher? Yes. I, this, this is important because you will always be a part of the journey because there are things that you promised them and things that you've obligated yourself to. And removing yourself from the journey will, will essentially mean that they have to get to their own promise on their own. A promise you made for them. They've got to get there on their own. In the same way, God is that way with us. 
Because God is God and because God knows his competencies and he's affirmed with his abilities and he's good in the fact that he can make anything happen, God makes his promises based on his abilities. He makes promises based on his abilities. He promises you things and promises me stuff based off of his ability to bring them to pass. He promises you healing. He promises you good relationships. He promises you safety. He promises you wholeness. He promises you security in your salvation. There are many things that God will promise us based off of his ability, but he doesn't just throw promises out there he can't keep. He obligates himself to being with us in the journey so we can get there. He obligates himself. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God is as committed to me getting to my promise as I am to me getting to my promise. You should feel good about the fact that God has made this declaration about himself. He said, my word will never come back to me void. That's a powerful promise. He didn't make that promise to you and me. He made that promise to himself. In other words, he said, everything I say will come to pass or I am a liar. That's why for some of us that have been called by God, you don't have a choice but to make it. I'm going to talk to this group over here. They're not that spiritual. I'm going to talk to y'all over here. Uh, (laughs) Because I know stuff happens in life, and it feels like you're not going to make it, and it feels like you should give up on it, and you feel like you should quit, but you can't quit. Every time you say, I'm done, something comes underneath you, and you feel like you got to keep going. That's not your own intuition and power. That's God saying, I promised you, you were going to be whole, so I can't leave you here broken. I think it was the prophet said, the prophet Jeremiah God said, you know what? He says, you're called to preach, you're called to minister, you're called to do all this kind of stuff. And the Bible said that he had gotten to the point in his walk with God where he was like, you know what, man, it's just too hard. I'm going to pass up on this. I don't really feel like doing it. And then in the next scripture, he starts to, he starts to describe the next sensation he felt in his body when he decided he was going to quit. He said, it started to feel like fire shut up in my bones. He said, he said, I tried to quit, and then God was like, no, you're not. He said, because that, that has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with God honoring his word. It has everything. Some of us are still alive today because of God's promise to us. Some of us are still living today because God gave us a promise. That God said, I just won't give up on you because I'm not going to let the word I spoke over your life come back to me and say, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because her mom was a drug addict. He's not going to let the word come back to the throne and say, I couldn't pull it off because he made a bad decision and had to go to prison. He says, my word is not going to come back to me and say, I couldn't perform it because she made a bad decision and she got pregnant by some dude that didn't want to love her and marry her. God said, my word will never come back to me and say it couldn't accomplish what I set it out to accomplish. And I want to tell you a story. And I want to encourage you because no matter where you've been in this life, no matter what you've done in this life, no matter what you've been a part of in this life, it is not powerful enough to stop God's word over your life. Boy, I feel like screaming on top of that. You can, I, can I really mess up the church because we don't like to talk like this? We don't like to deal like this. But sin is not more powerful than God's word. 
I want to talk to some folks that messed it up. I want to talk to some people that did it. I'm guilty of it. I want to talk to some people that know it was you, and we know it was you. We just ain't saying it's you. I want to talk to you. Your shortcoming is not more powerful than God's word over your life. And you cannot give your stuff more power than God's word. Well, she can't be a preacher because she They said, but God's word said I was going to be. You can't have this. You disqualified yourself when you did. You can't disqualify me. Sin is not more powerful than God's word over my life. The Bible says that where sin abounded, God's grace abound even more. Somebody shout more. So what has God done? God has taken away all of your excuses. We are without excuse not to become everything that God challenged us to be in this life. Without excuse. Without excuse. Pastor, you don't know what I did. Don't matter what you did. Bible says, and whatever you did, his grace is bigger than that. But pastor, you don't know what I'm into. I don't care what you're into. His grace is bigger than that. But pastor, you don't know who's against me. It don't matter who's against you. You have been quoting that scripture forever? No weapon. Something against me, child. It's going to ever prosper. He says, I understand that. Yeah, you've been quoting it. Now go live that. So I want to tell you a story. I want to talk to you a little bit in the word of God about some guys that had some things that they had to get through, but a promise that God gave them that they had to meet and they had to get to simply because God says so. And this is where we find these gentlemen in the book. And they find them is that God has now told them, I'll meet you to the other side, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He says, I just got finished blessing someone. I just got finished doing a great miracle for all of these people. And I'm getting ready to send them away and then go spend some time with the Father. I want you guys to go, and I'll meet you on the other side. I'm going to meet you on the other side. In other words, God says, you know what? Here's my promise to you is that you have a place you have to be, and I'll meet you at that place. That's what God did. And I don't know if there's anybody in here that has a promise from God, something you really sense that God is saying, something that God has spoken over your life and it hasn't happened yet, something that you believe God wants you to have, something that you believe God wants you to walk in, a deliverance or a healing that you're supposed to experience, but it ain't happened yet. Isn't it crazy that sometimes God will say things and get you all hyped up and then it seems like he presses pause on the action of it? Yeah. It almost seems like some kind of sick trick, like, God, I wish you wouldn't even prophesy that over my life if you wasn't going to do it over my life. And sometimes if you're not careful, you can forget what God has promised you. Sometimes you can dismiss what God has promised you. Sometimes you will question if you even heard God promise that at all. Have you ever done that before? I'm a pastor, and I have. Sometimes it'll make you wonder, well, you know. <laughs> you know, I wasn't there my best self when that happened, so maybe I missed God, or the prophet got caught, you know, doing their thing, so maybe it was a false prophecy. And, maybe, and we come up with all of these excuses for why God isn't performing in my life. And that's one of the worst things that a Christian can do is to lower God's standard. So what essentially we end up doing is if we don't do one of those three things, we do the fourth thing, which really irks God. We modify the promise. Have you ever modified God's promise before? 
I'll give you an example of when I modified God's promise. So we had our, we, we had the, our first child, and God had promised my wife that, you, or that she and I were going to have children, but we were having a difficult time conceiving. And we didn't understand how it was going to happen. And, and my wife, she's just like a prayer warrior. You know, she's speaking tongues and toes and fingers and all kind of stuff when she's ready to get something to come to pass in her life. And <laughs> so she starts writing all of these scriptures on these two by four four cards and she's writing you know the, 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 uh, the womb of the righteous shall be open and they had children in all the land and, uh, and, the, and the, you shall see a performance of these things she started taping up all of she took this room in the house now, now it's like it's like this is how this is where her, her, her faith is it's like three of us and my wife went and bought a five bedroom house because she believed that God said we were going to fill up every room in this house and I said babe that's quite a level of faith <laughs> on my pocketbook. You know? <laughs> like I need God to raise the level of my pocketbook to match your faith, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all got wives like that? Anybody got wives like that? You know, they see and believe and you're like, uh, I believe, you know? So, so she goes and she puts up all over these rooms, and if you walk past these rooms, all you saw were these scriptures. And she would wake up in the middle of the night, I'd go and I'd hear her. She'd have Christian music playing. She'd have her meditation and prayer time in those rooms. She would believe God. And when the, the first month of it all happened, I was so excited. God, we're going to have a child, and God's going to do what he said he'd do in our lives. And I was so excited, and I would walk past the room. Every now and then, I would sit in the room in the corner, and you could just feel God's glory and his presence in the room. And I would leave, and after about two months I was still excited saying you go girl but I wouldn't go in the room I just kind of hang out on the outside of the room about four or five months later I would walk past the room and I would say things to the Lord like Lord let her down easy I would say no literally out of my mouth Lord don't break her heart Lord she's so into this we went to the doctor, doctor said, there's nothing wrong with her. Went to the doctor, came back, he says, we gotta do a couple of things with you, but you should be fine, that should be not, not a big deal. We get to month seven, nothing. Doc says, listen, he said, there are a couple of different ways you guys can do this. You can adopt a child, you can donor eggs, you can do a handful of things to get in order to get pregnant. He says, there's a lot of ways you guys can have children. You just have to, you just have to modify how you see having children. And after a while, I went home and I told my wife, I said, hey, you know, we sat down at the table. It's time to have a husband and wife conversation. And I said, hey, babe, if this is what we really want to do, maybe God is saying that we should adopt a child. We've always said we wanted to adopt a child anyway. My, our worship leader, who happens to be my cousin, he's my adoptive cousin. We know how beautiful this can work and how amazing this is. And we'd be a blessing to some, some child. That child would be a blessing to us. I said, we can, maybe we can do an adoptive, adoptive thing. I don't want to, like, break your faith. but. And she said, yeah, we can adopt, we can adopt, we can adopt after we have our own children. I said, you know what they said about the donor eggs? You know what they said about the donor eggs? I said, the donor eggs, this is the way this donor egg thing works, and it'll, you know, and I said, you know. She said, yeah, that's, that's got to work for someone, just not us. We're going to have children. I said, I started asking God, what in the world is going on? Because I don't want children to become an issue in our household. And God said, there's nothing wrong with her. He said, you 
or modifying the promise. He said, you're making the promise fit your circumstance instead of making your circumstance fit my promise. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever done that before? You ever, you ever settle for less because that's what your circumstance provided? Husbands, keep looking at me. Wives, keep looking at me. Don't look, don't look to your left or right. Just look at me. Look at me. You ever settle for less? You ever modified the promise? You ever decided that God could not have meant what he promised or God wasn't going to do it or God forgot or God just, you know, maybe there was something with you or watch this or maybe you made a mistake and it disqualified you from what God promised you. So now instead of the big thing, I'll settle for what I have. I'll settle for my opportunities. I'll settle for what comes in front of me. And this is what God challenged me with. He said, you have modified the promise and you brought the promise down to your level. And that's not what I do. I set my standard high and I lift you up to my standard. Why don't you touch the person next to you and say, raise your standard. You have to raise your standard because sometimes life will make you take what it gives you. Sometimes life will make you take what's left. Sometimes life will make you forget chasing the big thing. Oh, I'm too old now. It's too much energy now. I didn't marry this scrub. We can't get it done now. And God is saying, and he's telling me to tell you, that everything that you hear the devil tell you is a lie. Everything that the devil tells you is a lie. He could not tell the truth if he wanted to. It's a lie. So, so Jesus tells the disciples, he says, I want you guys to go and meet me on the other side, and I'll meet you there. And he goes up to the top of the mountain, he begins to pray, and while the guys, they, I can see them putting all the stuff in the boat, and the, the guys jump on the boat, they, they get the sail up in the air, and they start moving with the sail, and the wind starts to blow, and the Bible says that the wind starts to blow harder and harder and harder until it's not helping them, it's hurting them. See, a wind is good for a sail unless it's too hard. And then the Bible says that they were trying their best to put their manpower, which is what you would do with a first century boat, is you kind of did the sail and you rowed it to guide it at the same time. So while the wind is blowing, they also are rowing this boat. And the Bible says that they're not going anywhere because the waves were working against them. Now, you gotta, you got to think about a first century man who, is a, who most of them were fishermen. In other words, they were laborers. They were not little scrawny guys that the that TV shows us that they are just kind of little wimpy people following Jesus. They weren't that. Even Jesus wasn't wimpy. They were first century men. They had forearms that looked like Popeye's shoulders that were yoked up because they traveled and they had to do things manually. These were not weak men moving through the water. These were not weak people. They were trying to get over to the place that God told them to be. They were trying to get to the next level of their journey, the next dimension of their marriage, the next space of their professional life. They were trying to get into the depths of their, of their spiritual journey. They were trying to get to where God promised them he would meet them, but they start getting stuck in the water. And they're doing everything right and can't move. <laughs> They're doing everything right. It, you, ever, you ever feel like, Lord, I'm doing everything I know to do, and it still ain't working for me. 
I'm doing everything. I pray. I come to church twice a week. I've signed up for another class at the church. I'm in Bible study. I fasted when the church fasted. God, I make peace with everybody that I got drama with. I stopped cussing yesterday. And <laughs> real, real talk. We be t- we telling God all kind of stuff. And I'll give up the other stuff right after. <laughs> You know, so that's the way, and this is what ends up happening. He ends up, they end up in a place where they're trying and they're doing what's right, but they're not moving. They're doing what's right and they're not moving. And it's easy to blame it on the wind and it's easy to blame it on the water because you and I get to look at this story 2,500 years from now from America instead of looking at this story 25 years ago in the first century Middle East. And if you are a first century Middle Eastern person, this story was not about wind blowing and it was not about waves that was keeping them going. In fact, that was a very carnal way to look at this text. Very carnal way to look at this text is to look at the obvious, that the wind is blowing. A very co- obvious way to look at this, this text, a very carnal way to look at this text is to look at the fact that the waves are beating up against the boat and that is their resistance. And that is the mistake that many of us make in our own journeys and why we get stuck in certain circumstances and situations of our lives because we look at the carnal natural stuff instead of digging deeper, peeling back the layers and seeing that there might be a devil behind my stagnation oh the economy and oh it's the this and oh this person is the president and oh once this guy get out of office it's gonna happen for me and when this one get in office it's gonna happen and things are gonna change and all the stuff has changed over the last six years and we're still stuck now what Maybe we need to stop looking at the economy, stop looking at the White House, stop looking at all of the natural stuff and start to see that there is an enemy that is trying to work against the goal of God's people. And if you understand the scripture in the first century, you'll understand that the way that they would have viewed the water was very different than the way you and I view water. In the first century, the water, they had a love-hate relationship with water. All throughout the scripture, you can find them either on one end of the spectrum, never in the middle when it came to water, particularly this body of water, the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee on one extreme was the place where all of them, just about who were fishermen, made their wealth. It was the only freshwater body of water within within, um, uh, eyeshot and earshot of a Middle Eastern person, particularly in this part of the Middle East. So when you see the, the story of them catching fish or when you see them making their money and earning their living on the water, this was the, the good side, the extreme that was a blessing to them on the Sea of Galilee. This was a wonderful aspect of it. But at the same token, the thing that they were blessed by, they also felt cursed by. Because there was an early century superstition or concept, I don't even know if it's superstition, but definitely an early century concept that put demonic activity in water as well. They looked at the water and they liked and linked the water to, um, to demonic powers, activity, and a homeland for the dead. This is critical. This is, uh, this is important for us to understand. That there was a creation story that not only included Satan that came out of the sky, um, beheld, like Jesus said, I saw Satan beheld out the sky. It was not just a creation story where Jesus kicked Satan out of heaven, but they saw him and believed that he fell to the earth with his demons and into the seas, the depths of the seas. So in the water, 
They, oh, there was a concept where they believed that demonic activity, those that had departed from heaven, people that they had called dead, uh, demons rather, that were defined as dead, lived and had rain in the water. I'll show you in scripture real quick. Jonah says this. He used the word depths when he says that I was thrown over the boat into the depths. Somebody shout depths. That word literally means into the place of the departed souls. He didn't say I was just thrown into the water and the well got me. He said I was thrown into a place where the, the departed souls live. That was the way they saw the water, same body of water. You also see Daniel having his conversation about it. When Daniel had his conversation, he describes it in Daniel chapter 7 as the abyss being a place of evil and chaos. That's the way he saw it. And you've even seen it in the Bible. You just didn't know what you were looking at. Do you remember that time where the demon, and Jesus meets this man and he casts the demons out of him? And the devils say to Jesus, they say, are you going to send us into torment before it's our time? And Jesus said, no. So he cast the, the devils out of the man, told the demons to go into the swine. The Bible say that the swine ran and jumped over the cliff into the what? The water. No, read your Bible again. It says the abyss. Most translations say water. The original language says the abyss. The abyss, the place of the departed souls. The writer of the story starts to tell the story, and he says that, you know what? The water is not the water. The water is where Satan is. The water is where satanic activity happens. The water is a blessing on one end, but it's also an act of satanic activity on the other. See, you're never going to see the, the miraculous catch of the 153 fish the exact same way anymore. Because while they were out there working, and they realized that they couldn't catch anything in the water, they sometimes attributed that to the fact that God did not release a blessing over their lives and here comes Jesus and tells them take your net and put it on the other side of the boat. In other words, when they pulled the, boat, the net up and it had these fish in it, Peter jumps into the water and he covers himself. John says, behold, that is our God. Why? Because what happened is the treasure that God had for them. They thought that the water was holding it down, but the devils in the water had to let go of their blessing and they were able to harvest their blessing in the middle of demons. <laughs> this is why there is nothing that can stop what God has for you. Because in the middle of all the drama of our world, in the middle of all the drama in your family, in the middle of the internal drama you might be having, it can't hold the promise that God has for you. It can't hold the promise that God has for you. It has to give up your fish and give you your, your miracle and your blessing. And this is where we find them in the middle of the water. They are wrestling and the Bible makes notice to say it was the wind and it was the boisterous waves that was keeping them from behind. And here comes, here they are, they're in the boat, the instrument that you would use to get from here to there, on water. That is a natural instrument. If I said, hey guys, let's go to Coronado and let's, let's take this route, we'd have to jump in the boat to go across the Pacific Ocean. And that seems very normal. They were doing a very normal thing. And they jumped in the boat and they were trying to do the normal thing, the natural thing, and the natural thing wasn't working. And then the Bible says Jesus was at the top of the mountain 
while they're out there struggling. You ever felt like Jesus isn't close when you're struggling? It, it seems like he's the furthest away when you're going through stuff, right? The Bible says that Jesus was walking on his way to the other side. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that he was walking and he would have passed them by. In other words, Jesus wasn't expecting them in the middle of the, the water. The Bible says Jesus was like, you know, we took a boat, Jesus was going to walk. They were still going by way of the lake. He was just walking on the water like it wasn't that big of a thing. He wasn't grandstanding. He wasn't doing it so that he can make a grand entrance. Jesus wasn't walking on the water hoping that somebody would see him so that they can, you know how we, we, we can't wait for pastor to see we did something good? <laughs> I want pastor to see that I know how to stand up. So you trip yourself and fall right in front of him and you just wait, wait, wait for him to come out of his office and then when he gets there you stand up and say, look what God did to me. Look what I'm capable of doing. No, 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 Jesus wasn't grandstanding. That was just the way he was planning on going to the other side. He was like, you're naturally in the boat. I can naturally walk because I'm supernatural. Bible says in Mark that they start screaming, hey, hey, that looks like Jesus. Hey, that looks like, hey, Jesus. Jesus, is that him? Jesus. Bible said Jesus turns. We catch it back in the book of Mark. Jesus turns. Sometimes I think Jesus is doing that to us. The Bible said that Jesus was walking, Mark chapter 6, and he would have passed them by. But he heard them screaming, and he's like, What are you doing? in the middle of the lake. They were surprised to see Jesus. But I think Jesus was just as surprised to see them as he was to see, as they were to see him. Because he did not plan to meet them in the middle. He planned to get them to the other side. God said, I gave you a word. I put you in a boat. You were strong enough to get it done. Why are you stuck out here in the middle of no man's land? Why are you not at your destiny? Now, I'm going to make this make sense to some of y'all in this room. You're smart enough to get it done. You've got resources around you to get it done. You're healed enough to get it done. Why are you not walking in your promise? Why is Jesus catching you somewhere short of where he promised you? He says, what in the world are they doing? They said, uh-oh, he responded. Because Jesus shows up in the weirdest places, doesn't he? See, we do all that fuss, and Jesus ain't near me. Jesus isn't near me. He's not close to me. Oh, Lord, I feel so alone. I feel so alone. And then when he show up, it's like, what are you doing here? You surprised me. Jesus showed up. And they said, it's a ghost. Jesus said, it's not a ghost, it's me. And the reason why I don't want you to be afraid, Peter, is because when I make a promise, I obligate myself to the process. And that is what you should understand today. When God has made you a promise, he has also obligated himself to the process. You don't have to think it's a ghost when God shows up and helps you out. You don't have to think it's a ghost when God shows up, watch this, in places you're not supposed to be. Boy, y'all so spiritual. Uh, preach, preacher. No, I'm talking about places you know you're not supposed to be. God show up there. Yeah. I got, like, I had encounters with God years before I actually got saved. 
you know, I didn't get saved. I was about 22 years old when I got saved. It was like my 21 years old. It was like my last. I had three weeks left of school when I got saved. But, and, and I had an encounter with God when I got saved, Pastor. The Lord, taught, I mean, it was beautiful. It was powerful. It was physical. It was spiritual. It was everything. But I had encounters with God for years leading up to him. It just wasn't in a church. God used to do stuff like, I used to be at the nightclub kind of, you know, doing my... I'd be at the nightclub, and God'd be like, boom, 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 tap me on the shoulder, like, what are you doing here? And I would just feel like, man, this ain't my thing. I'd be in places I'm not supposed to be, with people I'm not supposed to be, doing stuff I'm not supposed to be doing. And while I'm doing stuff I'm not supposed to be doing, Holy Spirit just be like, you know you ain't supposed to be doing that. And, that, and I'm in places where I really don't want God to be but he loves me so much and he's so dedicated to getting me to his promise that he won't even let me be in the nightclub in peace. That's what I mean when I say places you're not supposed to be because God is not like church people. He don't have an ego to protect. He'll walk in the strip club and get you out. He'll walk into the nightclub and pull you out. He'll pull you out of some man's bed you're not married to. God is not ashamed. You know, church people be like, what if somebody see me walk in here to get her? No, bro, that's your daughter. Go get her. That's your son. Get him out of that crack house. But we're so much like, what if somebody see me walk in there and see, I don't know, I don't know that, but they'll think that I'm not saved. What if somebody, and it's like, dude, you ain't that famous anyway. Nobody walking around talking about, hey, that's Michael. Look at Michael. <laughs> Bro, <laughs> you sneak and do all the other stuff you want to do. And nobody notices. Did that get real? <laughs> I want you to understand that God loves you so much, there's not a place he won't go to pull you out of. He'll meet you. I was in nightclub being like, God, I just feel convicted for even being, jeez. Like, I'm not even saved. But I knew it was God. Watching things, being a part of stuff. And God was just like, no, bro, I'm not letting you do that by yourself. I'm here with you. And when they were out in the ocean, in the, in the sea, they were so far away from God wanted them to be, they saw God, and it's like, ah! That must be a ghost. And God says, no, it's not a ghost. It's me. And don't be afraid. And you shouldn't be afraid because I marked you. And when he marked you, he obligated himself to getting you to where he promised you. And that's why you can't quit. And that's why you can't get lost. And that's why when you feel like giving up, you can't give up. And that's why when you're done with it and you're tired of it, it seems like it engulfs you. Because God's in there. The Bible says that Jesus comes walking on the water toward them. And this is why, you remember, keep in your mind, the devil's in this water. Keep in your mind. Revelation, Leviathan is in this water. Keep in your mind that all of these things are Satan. And here comes Jesus, still bruising his heel on Satan's head. Here he is walking on the thing that's holding him back. And then he tells Peter, he says, Peter, why don't you come out here so that you can experience walking on what has been holding you back? The Bible says Peter walks out on the boat. Walks, gets out of the boat, and he's walking on water. 
he walks toward Jesus and he's doing the thing. Jesus said, come, bro. Jesus said, come on, bro. He's doing the thing. And then the wind starts again. And when the wind starts again, he starts to sink. And that feels just like us, right? God's got us, get a powerful sermon, you get touched by the, the word of God, you get challenged by the anointing of God, and we're walking, we're stomping on the devil's head, we're headed toward where God told us to be, and then the wind starts again. Somebody reminds you who you used to be. They remind you what you did. They remind you what you're not capable of. They keep telling you all of these things, and, and then we sink. And the Bible says that Jesus stuck his hand out and pulled him out the water. And we do that. We walk strong and we sink. And then Jesus sticks his hand in our water and pulls us out. And then we walk strong and then we sink. And then Jesus sticks his hand and pulls us out of the water. And we keep doing that. Does that ever sound familiar to anybody besides me? I'm strong, I'm strong. Now I'm sinking. Thank you, Jesus. I'm strong, I'm strong. Now I'm sinking. Thank you, Jesus. And it feels like that's not normal, but that's called life. That is the journey of walking with Jesus. We lied to you from the pulpit and told you you was just going to walk on water your whole time. And it's going to be miracle after miracle. And every time you decree it, it's going to happen. And if you lay hands on it, it's going to happen. And if you think it, it's going to be it. And if you speak it, it's going to happen. And then when you went to play spiritual exercises, you realized it didn't work. You spoke it and it didn't come to pass. You laid hands on it and it didn't get healed. But pastor, I did everything that the church told me to do. They told me to lift my hands and I lift my hands. They told me to turn around three times and I turned around three times. They told me to put my right foot in and take my right foot out. <laughs> I did it all. I did it all. I did it all and I'm sinking. And Jesus said, Jesus said, just, just grab my hand. And every time you sink, I'll help you get back up because I'm obligated till you get into the promise. <laughs> I'm obligated to getting you to the promise. I like Peter because Peter was good at failing, but he was not a failure. He was good at failing. Oh, you see Peter fail so many times, and to some degree this is a failing as he's sinking. But the Bible said that Jesus picked him up, and then he said something to him. He said, ye of little faith, why did you stop believing? And that's a powerful statement, isn't it? But not as powerful as where they was having the conversation. Do you realize how the story says that Jesus asked him, hey man, you're a little faith, why did you stop believing? Where do you think they was having that conversation? It wasn't on the boat. It was standing on the water. They were standing on the water, having a conversation. Peter, you thought it was going to beat you, bro, but it didn't beat you. I can imagine Jesus grabbing him by the head because there's nothing in the scripture that says, Jesus said, hey, now jump on my back. I'm going to get you back over to this boat. <laughs> That's not what happened. Jesus put his arm around his brother and started walking back on the water to get him to the boat. He said, man, yeah, y'all better go ahead and give God a praise for that because... He says, 
He said, because there are some natural things that are going to be required for this journey, but it's also some new supernatural stuff that's going to be required for this journey. And I've got to put you in positions where you understand that you have the power to do supernatural things and to command supernatural commands and to decree supernatural things over your life. And when you recognize that you are not fighting against flesh and blood, but also against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, when you realize that, then instead of just trying to medicate it, you'll plead the blood of Jesus over it. Instead of trying to outsmart it, you'll declare the word of God over it. And you'll get somewhere in this life by being natural and supernatural. By both the natural and the supernatural. Stand to your feet. I want you to touch yourself and say, I'm going somewhere. Say, I'm going somewhere. Stuff is going to try to stop you. Things are going to get in your way. Some are going to be natural. Others are going to be supernatural. But you have to be able to discern what requires your natural hands and what requires your spiritual hands. And if you can determine what requires your spiritual hands, you can defeat every enemy that is in the seed that's assigned to your life. Lighthouse, you better hear what I'm trying to tell you. God has already given this church power to defeat demons in this region, to defeat principalities in the air. I feel the Holy Ghost. He has already given you power to have victory for this region. He didn't call out the corridors for nothing. This is your assignment. This is the assignment of this house. From one end of the 78 to the other end of the 78. It's your assignment. I, I, I actually see the 15. From the 15 to the 5. God has assigned this region to this household of faith. And some of it is going to be natural. You're going to build buildings. I can't wait to come back and see this. You're going to do stuff. Cool stuff. But you're also going to defeat spiritual principalities. Traditions that have had this place on lock. Demonic activities that has held this region back from being everything that God called it to be. He sent you to this place to unlock what has been locked by the power of Jesus Christ. But you can't stay in the boat because you're afraid of sinking. You have to remember that there is a God that's got your back that even if you sink, you can get back up again and get to where God promised you he'd meet you. I speak over this church and I speak over your life. Don't stop until you get to the other side. Don't give up until you get to the other side. Don't modify it until you have what God promised you. You keep working your way up. Don't bring it down. You keep raising up. Don't bring the promise down. And watch what God is going to do in your life, sir. Watch what God is going to do in your marriage, ma'am. Watch what God is going to do through your children. Peter, don't dumb me down and limit me to a boat. I can walk on this if I need to. Do you know how many ways God can bring it to pass in your life? 
So it wasn't that person. God's got another person. So it wasn't that job. God will get you another job. Throw it wasn't through that methodology. God got somebody with another methodology. And what you don't have, he'll link you with somebody that does have it. Woo! He'll, I feel that in my spirit. I feel supernatural resources that have been assigned to this house or working their way to this house to finish what God is trying to start. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So we come against the enemies that want to see this end before it even starts. We come against devils that want to thwart and that will try to come against the name of this church, that will try to come against the prophetic declaration of this house. We come against them now by the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. And we can declare victory. We declare redemption. I declare this house to be a house full of hope, a house that inspires, a house that grows, a house that multiplies, all for the glory and through the power of Jesus Christ. We give God praise for it now in Jesus' name. If you can help me bless God, give him a praise where you're standing. Praise where you're standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, now listen. We're going to do a quick altar call. Maybe I was preaching to you. And you said, Pastor, what you preached, it touched me. Maybe it was in the fellowship with someone else. And you say, what I sensed here and what I felt here, I want to have it. Or maybe you're saying that standing in my seat, the Holy Spirit has been challenging me and has been pressing on me. The first group is for people that need to give their life to Jesus. If you don't mind, everybody, let's just pray with those, for that person right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you've never given Jesus your life. Maybe you're a backslider, kind of fell away, and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I want to come back. Bible says that I love and I'm married to the backslider. He said, I never let you go because I'm committed to the process with you. To the one who's not born again, he says, I am here to love you. Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And today it is really as simple as believing that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Acknowledging that I've fallen short, I've sinned. That's what we call it in church. I've sinned, I've fallen. And today I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. I receive you. I believe that you lived. I believe you died for my sins. I believe, and I don't know why I believe it, but I believe you rose from the dead for me. And I accept you. And I accept you as my Savior. Will you accept me as your son or your daughter? And if you believe that in your heart, I believe that God saved you before you finished praying. I believe that God saved you before the words came out of your mouth. And if this is your first time praying that, or maybe you're a backslider and you're saying, I just prayed it again, and I'm, and I'm back, and I want to get connected, I want you to lift your hands while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give you some personal time. Just lift your hand. Let me see your hand if you're here. I see you. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I see you, sister. I see you, brother. I see you. Praise the Lord. 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 The Lord. I want everybody that can to give God a hand praise for those hands that are up. Listen, pastor's going to come in a few minutes and he's going to give you guys instructions 
for those of you that just gave your life or maybe you were backslidden and you fell. The next altar call, I'm going to ask you guys to come to the front. I want the pastors come and help me pray with some of these men and women that may come to the front, but I want to talk to you that feel like your promise is so far off you don't know if you're going to get to it. That you don't know if I'm going to, I'm not sure I'm going to ever become the person that can live in the promise that I've had for my life. Maybe you're saying, maybe you're saying, I've, I've given up on it. I've given up on a good marriage. I've given up on my child coming back. I've given up on the stuff that God put in my spirit. And I just want someone to pray with me. I want someone to stand with me. I want you to come down. I want to pray with you now. 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 Hallelujah. 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 The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow weary. Hope deferred, he says, when the promise doesn't come to pass fast enough, sometimes we change our mind about it. When the promise doesn't come when we want it to come or the way we was hoping it would come, sometimes we don't think that God cut us out for it. But God sent you to this house today to remind you, sir, that you're worthy. To remind you, woman of God, that you are worthy. To remind you that you qualify because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That he has not forgotten, that he didn't turn off. He said, I'm not a man that I should lie, nor the son of man that I should repent. Repent means change my mind. God is saying, sister, that I have not changed my mind about you. Hey, God is saying, I have not changed my mind. He said, it'll happen. It'll happen in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.